Ephesians chapter 4. We are looking at the first six verses. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Merciful King, what you have shown me in this text, I pray that you will show my beloved brothers and sisters. Father, we may hear you, Father, understanding how many times the word one shows up just in this. Father, we are one. Father, I ask that each of us would preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Teach us, Lord. Teach us that we may be humble and gentle and patient, showing love, long-suffering love for one another. In Christ's precious name, amen. You guys that are visiting us, we've been in this text for a little while. And in verse 1, we saw what the call was, this worthy call. We're coming out of three chapters of doctrine that shows us who we are, God's plan before existence. And then chapter 2 dealt with the church, how this all one comes together and how it's fulfilled. Chapter 3, he prays that we get it and we work our way through it. So we see this in light of all of this understanding. Now we have a call. The Apostle Paul begs us, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Then we looked in verses 2 and 3 at the characteristics of this calling. What does it look like? What does this, this worthy calling look like? How do I walk and how do I know? Well, first was all humility. All humility is placed in there because all humility means in everything. It does not matter what it is. I am humble in everything. Because that will lead, and if you walk, go, walk back through it, you'll see that that humility leads to gentleness. Some of your translations may say meekness. The word in the original language literally means power under control. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus was called meek. When it came to him, he never defended himself. But when it came to his father, he would defend it. And that's, that's, we have a tendency to want to defend ourselves, but that removes all humility. If I have humility, then I understand the only one that I will defend is God, my father. And the rest of it is, who cares? All right? Because I got news for you. I'm not that important. Okay? So I ain't going to defend myself. I will defend my father. 
But that leads to patience. And none of us have any problems with patience because I know how it all works. And then you become patient. Why? Because I'm humble and I have power under control. Therefore, I am, I I like, I think it's New King James calls it long suffering. It seems to make more sense, but we call it patience. And that will give us a long suffering love. All of those come together, and that's the characteristics of a worthy walk. Now, I wanted to share with you something here because this is critical to this book. All right? There is an underlying theme that is in every chapter, and it's a one word theme. One. There's one. And I I look around, I've been in Castle Rock since the late 70s. And I look around Castle Rock, I don't see one. Okay, and I mean even in the body of Christ, I don't see one. Which tells me that some humility is missing, some gentleness is missing, patience has gone out the window, and there is no long-suffering love. But a lot of people will tell you what chapter 5, 6 says in this book, how husbands are to love their wives, how wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, how you're supposed to treat your kids, how you're supposed to work with your employers and employees. We all know all of these things, but the problem that is missing in the church is that we don't know the theology that's behind it. Once I know who this is, then all that happens automatically. I don't even have to worry about what it says. But if you go look at Christians today, they can tell you what to do and what not to do. But ask them why. Why should I do that? Well, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit chose you for salvation. That's part one. He did it too in a body the church. And if you go look at scripture, you find out that God so loved his son, he wanted to give his son a gift. A gift that showed the massiveness of his love. That gift was a bride. And he presented to his son a bride. We call it the church. But the son says, I so love the father that I want to show my love for you. And I will give, show you a perfectly holy bride and present her back to you. That's why husbands are to love their wives. That's why wives are to submit to their husbands. That's why the children should honor their mothers and fathers. That's why we should be the best workers in the workforce. Why? Because God had a plan before he made existence. And your names and my name was written down before it started. So now we move into verses 4 to 6. The cause of this worthy walk. This is a fascinating text, these verses. You know, when I was going through this, I'd like to tell you how smart I am, but those of you who know me know that I read Ephesians every day, and I have for some time. Okay, so whatever book I'm teaching, I read that book every day. And it just dawned on me a couple of weeks ago. But if you look at these verses, one part 
is the Holy Spirit verse. One part is the Son's verse. And one part is God's verse. Pretty impressive if you think about it in just 4, 5, and 6. And I see this as the cause of this worthy walk. Now understand, you come out of a prayer in chapter 3, 14 to 21. And it starts off with the prayer that you are strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. In the inner man. And we need to look at this because if we are going to be one, all right, that means that there's going to be some times we're going to have to bow in all humility. But if we're doing it, then we understand, if you look at verse 4, there is how many bodies? One. There's one body. Did you know that? There's only one. I, uh, I shared in Sunday school class, I was in uh, Azerbaijan a couple of times teaching. And I remember the first time that I went, about three years ago, uh, first time I went, the guy told me, he says, you are going to teach for all week to every pastor in Azerbaijan. And I was like, whoa, wow, man, really? There's 31. Okay. And I found out during the, the first time I went and taught, I taught on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I started off the class this way. Listen, I don't care what your experiences are. I don't care what you think. I don't care what your opinion is. I am here for one thing, one thing only. This book. What does this book say about the Holy Spirit? Period. And I left it at that. And then I find out by Wednesday that I've got Pentecostals there. I've got Presbyterians in the group. I've got some Baptists in the group. Uh, and I've got, actually I had uh, two Muslims there for a little while, but But you know what? When I walked away from there, everybody was in absolute agreement. That's amazing. Okay? Try that today in the United States. Because they said, well, couldn't you find anything more controversial? I didn't pick it. (laughs) Okay? The next time I went, guess what? I taught the book of Romans. All right? That's not bad until you realize that 50% are Arminiast. Okay, but again, they know where I stand. I don't care what you think or what your opinion is. This is what it says. Because I had a guy one time said, you know what? Because it says, none seek after God. No, not one. And the guy got mad at me. Threw a book at me, actually. And I was like, wow. And... He said, I want you to know, I have always sought after God. I just smiled at him, my best effervescent smile. I said, then just mark that out of your Bible. He did come back and apologize finally. But no, I'm just telling you what it says. That's what we have to be aware of. Listen, the thing that I see that is... That is killing the church. As long as self is at the center, and it can be there as your feelings, it can be there as what you think is your rights, when those are your chief concerns, 
you will never know unity. Never know unity. Think about the picture that he gives us. The church is the bride of Christ, right? What is the bride supposed to do with the groom? Submit. As unto the Lord. When you see trouble in a marriage, all you know is that one or both are self-centered. You know, I got my rights. I got my feelings. Now, men, don't look at your wife saying, see, I told you about them feelings. Don't do that. Because so, I've, I've seen it before, and guys, ooh, you see him get to the, what was that? If we humble ourselves, we'll know unity. That's the only way. You need to realize that when Paul's giving to you and me here in these six verses, he's showing us that there is no plan B. This is the only way it's going to get done. This is God's design. And after all, there is one body, which means there's one spirit, means there's one hope of your calling. There is no plan B. Only one. And this is what it looks like. The unified church. We... We should have enough sense to know that everything that God has ever designed in the church is based on a one concept. It's amazing. You know what I also noticed here in these texts, just these verses four to six. Some of you may know that seven is the complete number, right? Lacks nothing. Did you ever look at it? There's one body. There's one spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. And one God overall and in all. So in just those two verses is the completeness of our God and Savior. But the key is one, is one. And that's what it's like to be in a worthy walk. There's one, just one of us. This is, I guess I could call it practical oneness. And, it's, and if you really think about it, in our society, in our globe, how much oneness is there? There isn't any. I mean, I don't care what your political persuasion, I don't care what it is. There's always an individual something or other, and it doesn't matter whether it's in the United States, in Europe, in Asia, Central Asia, Far East, North, whatever, it's always there. How many bodies of Christ are there? Think about it. Well, we got Baptist, we got Presbyterian, we got Episcopalian, we got, uh, don't forget the independents. Got to have them independents. And then, you know, you got a side order of neo evangelistic. 
No. There's one. I watched it when I was in Azerbaijan. That country is 98% Muslim. And it's Shiite. Their big influence comes out of Iran. That's their southern border. We have a, a missionary that we support who teaches a school in Tittemann, in Myanmar. All the churches are together. We have a pastor in Punjab, India, who are reaching the Taliban with the gospel coming out of Pakistan. It's Pakistan. They're one. I've been in Russia, several cities in Russia. They're one. I've been in Israel. And the church there is one. But we're different. I remember in Azerbaijan, this one guy came. He's actually one of the Pentecostal guys. He came in late on Monday. He's, he apologized to me for being late to the class. I said, I don't whatever. And he said that he had been arrested Sunday for preaching in a home. And they broke his jaw. And they had released him on Monday morning and he came to the class. The rest of the pastors there, the other 30, were taking up donations so they could send him to the doctor to have it fixed. That's one. That's one. Remember what we studied? There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There's no male. There's no female. There's no bond. There's no slave. There's one. That freaked Paul out. Because if you go back through history, when did the Jew and the Gentiles get along? They still don't. They will. Because we are all one in Christ. What's Paul's cheap phrase? He loves that phrase. In Him. In Christ. Because you know what? When you're in Him, when you are in Christ, you know what that means? It ain't you. And once that, John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. So we are all one in Christ. There is one church. There is one head of the church. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Humanity, race, ethos, culture, language, doesn't matter. Flat out does not matter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, there is one family in heaven and on earth. There is one body. One body of Christ. Okay? This is an organism, and it is made up of every true believer. Now listen, I don't know about you. That's hard to say sometimes. Because you know what? There are some true believers that may be saved, but wow, they are really messed up. Now, I know you guys ain't never run into any of them. I mean, I, I think about Presbyterian. My brother-in-law is a Presbyterian. I remember we were driving 
from his place in Alabama over to Jackson, Mississippi. (laughs) We were discussing the Holy Spirit and just cruising along. And he says, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And I was like, what? He says, no, we just don't want to talk about it. I said, well, you know, he's the most active in the believer's life, right? Yeah, but you don't, we don't need to talk about it because people put too much emphasis on it. And I was like, well, that's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. I love Jesus, but I don't want to talk about him because people put too much emphasis on him. All right, so I had a nice long drive with him and told him that if he's smart, he'd go check it out. <laughs> I know a guy who's Anglican. <laughs> he's, he's Anglican and he came out of Oral Roberts. Do I need to say any more? Okay. And yet, if you sit and talk to him, he's read the Bible. He knows what it says, but then you see what he does and you're like, well, that don't make sense. Do we even want to discuss charismatics? I think they stole a really good word. Charismas means grace. I like that. But if I go back and tell somebody that I'm a charismatic Baptist, what are they going to do? I'm a Baptist who's under grace. Then there's the the neo-evangelicals. I like that. I did hear R.C. Sproul say that they're taking all of our good names. Because he said, I used to really like fundamentalists. He says, but I found a new one that they won't steal. I thought, what could this be? He says, we will go by imputationist. (laughs) You know, they're not going to steal that one. But yet I think about it. They're all the same body. All one. Listen, there's only one body. There's only, it doesn't say the brides of Christ. It says it's the bride of Christ. And we need to realize, instead of celebrating our differences, instead of trying to create unity out of our superficial methods, understand the Holy Spirit has already given us unity, and we should, as we studied last week, we should work in a hurry to preserve it. And I shared last week, and it starts in our heart. Each and every one of us, it has to be in our heart. I have the unity of the Holy Spirit. You know what has always bugged me? The same Holy Spirit that was in the Apostle Paul, same one that's in every one of you, and he hasn't changed. So the problem is what? Yielding to him. It is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. But I ask a silly question. Why would you want to do that? I believe if all Christians were right with the Holy Spirit, there would be no division whatsoever. 
But I, the conflict comes when you want to tell the Holy Spirit how to do His job. The Spirit of the living God would purify our doctrine, but it would also purify our relationships. I have dealt with the doctrine of election. I'm sure that some of you have. And what I learned a long time ago is you can't teach anybody that. I can tell you what it says. I can tell you what it means. But you don't get it unless the Holy Spirit shows it to you. Now, I, when I first stumbled onto that doctrine, that proved to me that man didn't write this book. Because no man would write that. So I said, okay, got that one done. Then I tried to share that. Oh, brr, mm, mercy. So now I just teach the text and I move on. Because what I've learned is there are things in the Bible that are just as plain as the nose on your face. But if the Holy Spirit hasn't got that person yielded to them, they'll never get it. And you can't beat it into them. So I give up on it. I just, this is what it says. Next. That's how our doctrine is purified. It ain't because all of a sudden I went to school. Tell me what seminary Peter went to. Tell me what seminary Paul went to. Yeah, he studied the Pharisees. That worked. See what I mean? These guys yielded to the Holy Spirit. Again, there's only one body. If there's only one body, guess what? There's only one Spirit. The same Spirit that is in me is in the same Spirit that is in every believer in Jesus Christ. There's one Holy Spirit, and every believer possesses the Spirit. All right? Remember what Paul told the Corinthians? Now, there was a messed up bunch of people. All right? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? But they were doing what? Putting themselves first and not yielding to the Holy Spirit. That is every Christian. Did you know that? I remember a, a guy, <laughs> guy, he hired a new youth guy. And he come walking into the church and he had a, his hat on, had a ball cap on. And uh, this elderly couple come up to him and said, Young man, do you not know you have a hat on in the temple of God? And he smiled at him and says, Well, actually, I have the hat on the temple of God. Sound like one of my kids or something. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian's body is the temple of the living God. Do you understand now why you should not marry an unbeliever? How do I take the temple of God and hook it up to a temple of pagans? Somebody's going to be uncomfortable. See... Then if you look at chapter 2 
of Ephesians, then you see that the church is put together for the habitation of the Spirit of God. We, individually, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, collectively, are the habitation of the Spirit. And when the church is unified, then the church has the ability to reach the lost because the lost can note that and say, how they do that? We can't do that. There's only one Spirit. And if there's only one Spirit, there's only one church, then that makes us all one. And it doesn't matter what your background is. I don't care what your vocation is. I don't care what your educational learning is. I don't care whether you like to hunt and fish or you don't. I don't care if you're a vegetarian. I'll pray for you. But I don't care. That is irrelevant. Back to that verse 3. Why? Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's already there. Why? Into verse 4. Because you are called to what? One hope. One hope of your calling. We only have one eternal calling. You ever think about that for a minute? It gave me fits last week. I had a heck of a time with that. We are only called to one destiny. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. We are called to one destiny. And you know what's really bizarre? We are all going to the same place. Believers, even those that are messed up, are still going to go to the same place. Remember in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5? Help strengthen the faint-hearted, the weak, and all of those. And, and, and then I don't want to even get into the other ones. But when you look at that, it says there's messed up people in the church. Paul told Timothy, hey, men will be lovers of themselves. And he, Spurgeon says and that's the sewer pipe that the rest of that comes out of. I was like, great. Having a form of godliness... And denying the power. So you've got those in the church. And yet, all of those people, no matter how messed up they are, all will be made like Christ. I know, some of you are saying, well, some of them are going to really take some work. If they know Christ then they will be in His image. Period. All have the same eternal destiny. We're all headed to heaven. All headed to heaven. Now listen, I want to give you a little footnote here. It does not mean that we tolerate wrong theology or wrong behavior. Okay? I have... Biblical guidance for both. Please understand. All right? If, if the theology is wrong, you who know me 
I meet with some of the pastors here in town occasionally, and they will go off on something that is uh, messed up. And my response to them is, instead of trying to grab them around the head and put a headlock on them, get them to understand, I'll ask them a simple question. Where is that in the Bible? And as soon as I say that, they know exactly what I mean. Hey, listen, I ain't perfect. But if you say something and it don't ring to me, that means the Holy Spirit says something's wrong here. And I'm going to ask you, where is that in the Bible? Now, if you can show it to me in the Bible, amen. But if you can't, I'm not interested. Your opinion is of great value to you. Keep it. I'd hate to see you spend it on me. Okay? But God's opinion is crucial. And I want people to get a hold of this. Because we do defend theology. Because I don't want a crooked picture of my God. And I also will deal with sin. We are supposed to, as a brother in Christ, regardless if I'm a pastor or elder or whatever, as a brother in Christ, if you are in a sin and I know it, I'm going to try to get you to change because you are forfeiting blessing. How much do I love you if I say, oh, go ahead, forfeit that blessing. I'll do it in the name of love. What's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says that those who cause these divisions do not associate with them. That's another problem I struggle with. For a Christian not to be in a church, that's a punishment. Did you know that? To look around. How many don't go to church? Why? Well, I worship my own way. I ain't going to go back to the Old Testament and show you some of them guys who had their own contemporary worship. That was terrible. But I will say this. If you don't get anything out of this message, mark this. Whoever you are, whenever you're confronted, if you feel like you're being confronted, or if you believe a doctrine is wrong, or if you believe a person is in sin, then preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, be willing to reason together from the Scriptures. Okay? Sounds like a good idea. Alright? Listen, I know I've been wrong a whole bunch of times. Anytime I wake up, I'm probably wrong. But I'm willing to reason from the Scriptures. Keeping this unity the right way, that's on the inside. It is my responsibility in my heart to be unified. Guess what? That's your responsibility too, is to be unified. So if my life and your life are working on that, then we understand that there's only one eternal destiny. We understand that there's only one hope of our calling, and we have a guarantee of that hope of the Holy Spirit, chapter 1 of Ephesians 13 and 14. It's already there. That's where he uses the term Erebon. Erebon. It's used to describe an engagement ring. We have been given the Holy Spirit as an Erebon, as a pledge. You know what the pledge is? 
God promises to bring us to the marriage supper. And I'm ready. And the Holy Spirit is given to every believer as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of eternal inheritance. Back into verse 4. One hope of your calling. That's the Holy Spirit. The hope of my calling is Holy Spirit. One body. How are you placed into the body of Christ? By the Holy Spirit. See what the Spirit does? That's why you're like, well, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. How did you get in the body? You might want to talk about that. It is the Holy Spirit. Places you in the body. What about the hope of your calling? We don't want to talk about Him either. Well, that's silliness. I want to talk about Him. Why? He's very active in my life. Especially if I do something wrong. Have you ever noticed that? If I do something wrong or have... Have you ever had just one of those moments uh, this morning uh, our copier was demon-possessed? And I know some IT guys here. I pity you people. No wonder you got saved. <laughs> but the copier decided that no. I'm, you can't make me. There's little lights and it's spinning. And, like, and the first thing that comes to your mind is you don't want to know. Okay? Because then I'd have to replace the window. But that's the kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's there and God says, you know, you're getting ready to worship in spirit and in truth. You really want to think about that copier that way? But see, I'm smart enough to say, well, Lord, could you take this with you? But he says, uh, my grace is sufficient. Okay? It's interesting to have all of you visiting today. Uh, it's, it's totally awesome. And I think about it as one body. You were all brought into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So there's one body and there's one spirit. The same spirit that's in me is in Jason, Josh, everybody. We all got the same one. I think that's cool. I, I mean, it's just totally awesome. Because there's a oneness that we as Christians have supernatural. Supernatural. And I like it because it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter how tall you are or how short you are. It doesn't matter what your job is, except for you IT guys, but the rest of us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm picking on the guys. He indwells us. By indwelling us, He places us in the body. By placing us into the body, He gives us one hope. And that is all guaranteed to us by the Erebon. The engagement from God that I will put you in the marriage supper of the Lamb. All by the Holy Spirit. So I shared with you and started this. Verse 4 is the Holy Spirit text. Verse 5 is Jesus' text. Verse 6 
is God's text. I'll pick those up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sealing us. Thank you for giving us a guarantee. Father, thank you for overcoming our feebleness. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us together today. Father, the, to hear, hear the, the volume of the singing it almost made me cry. Father, to see the faces of those who love you. What an awesome God you are. Thank you for what you do exceedingly abundantly. Excelling in each of our lives. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Guard our hearts and mind. The power of your spirit. Let us long for heaven as we continue our Father's work here on earth. To you, my Lord and Savior. Amen.